This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Louisiana discussing a dating scheme that turned deadly. Then we'll talk about the Bayou Strangler, who killed at least 23 men. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Bayou State. Moving to a new town is exciting. Meeting new people, making new friends, possibly meeting a new love interest. Packing up and relocating for a job is not a new thing. People do it all the time. Some take jobs simply for the option of relocating. But you're working all the time, and these things are not your priority all of a sudden. You have no time. So you go online. It's easy, convenient. You can go on there whenever you want to. And you may meet someone. Let's say you do. Great. Let's set up a date. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, you're busy. Why don't you just come over to my place? We'll grab a drink and then go to dinner. Sounds good. Little do you know, you've just put into motion a chain of events that will ultimately end your life. Sean was a college wrestling champ. He loved football and his family. He was a certified water technician, and in 2015, he was offered a temporary assignment on a flood project in the New Orleans area. He jumps on it. He was working for a restoration company that was tackling an extensive project in an old VA hospital. So this was his chance to move. He grew up in Missouri and new start, new friends, new everything. Not long after he moved, he met and fell in love with a local woman and the two became engaged. It didn't last, unfortunately. And broken-hearted Sean moved into a gated apartment complex in Metairie. He planned on moving back to Kansas City as soon as the job was finished. There was no reason for him to stay in Louisiana. He was working over 100 hours every two weeks. Good Lord. That's a lot. I don't even want 40 hours every two <laughs> weeks. A <laughs> hundred? Ugh. So he was excited to have his first weekend off. It was Friday, February 25th, 2017. Sean had told his dad he was looking forward to going out and having some fun. According to several co-workers and friends of his, he, like many single people, frequented online dating sites. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, your hinge, your plenty of fish, your... Farmers only. Christian Mingle. (laughs) All the things. All the things. So Sean was supposed to meet with an attorney that his father had scheduled for the next morning around 10 because he was trying to get out of his lease on his apartment. And he told his dad he would call him. Sean's dad always worried about him. When Sean was in elementary school, he was found to have a learning disability He struggled when asked to handle multiple tasks, but otherwise he thrived in school. (laughs) He became a standout on his high school wrestling team. He would stand up for other students with disabilities when they were picked on by classmates. He was very trusting, almost to a fault. 
And I hate it when we cover cases or hear these innocent people get taken advantage of for trusting people. Mm -hmm. So Sean never called his dad the next morning. His dad called over and over again, and finally someone picked up the cell phone, but it wasn't Sean. The man on the other end of the phone had a very heavy accent and said he had found the phone in a cemetery. So Sean's dad called the police immediately to have him do a welfare check. Police go to his apartment, the door is unlocked, and they find Sean in the bedroom on an air mattress, naked from the waist down, and he was deceased. There was a shot glass on the floor with several empty beer bottles and an empty pill capsule. There were more beer bottles in the trash and white powder on the table in the kitchen. In the bathroom, there was an empty bottle of whiskey on the counter. Very little furniture in the house, and all the cabinet doors were open in the kitchen. Just the whole thing's very weird. Mm -hmm. Sean's truck, wallet, both his cell phones were also missing. He called homicide detectives to start investigating immediately. Cell phone companies were contacted to try to get cell phone data from the towers. The white powder from the living room and bedroom were tested, and the results were negative for a controlled substance. Sean's dad is contacted, and they tell him that they have found his son and that he is deceased, which I can't even imagine getting that phone call. He and his wife head towards Louisiana. They get to the apartment, and they take their own pictures of everything, and they find that it is ransacked. There is stuff missing like his TV. Oh, he did have more furniture and stuff. They find empty pill capsules and a few spots of blood on the molding. They go to the police department and the police tell his parents, it appears that Sean was having a party judging by the large amount of alcohol and the drugs. And his parents were like, no, that's not our son. Like, he did not use drugs, period. Also, one of the most frustrating things about cases like this is it seems like police never listen to the parents or those closest mm-hmm. to the person, which I know people have secrets. I mean, there's a lot of shit that I wouldn't want my mom to know, you know. But or that- still, if that amount of drugs, I feel like would be hard to keep under the radar. Like, right. not everyone, but a lot of people would have been in trouble. Something right. small, like Something. you've been arrested for this or Maybe you right. got in a bar fight because you were right. drunk or I don't know. Right. Money's gone. Like you're spending large amounts yeah. of money. But they're just like, you know, you. we know our child. You are not listening to mm-hmm. us. So the autopsy revealed that he had died from acute hemorrhagic pancreatitis associated with ethanol, a.k.a. alcohol poisoning. Sean's blood alcohol content was 0.274, which... The legal level of intoxication for Louisiana is 0.08, and his was way over. Toxicology results from the coroner showed Sean had two antipsychotic medications and an antihistamine in his system. The amounts of drugs found were not toxic, according to the report. They concluded that this was an accident, and the police department agreed. There were no visible signs of trauma and no foul play as a parent. There was also no compelling evidence of theft, even though things were definitely taken, including 
the engagement ring that he had bought his ex-fiance, his wallet, and his credit cards. Last time I checked, that was theft. Yeah, even if he didn't die at the hand of someone, they're committing a crime by stealing. And they witnessed. He had to have probably been dead for them to take his stuff, so hello. Detectives have CCTV footage from Walmart and a gas station where three men and one female used his credit cards. There was also video footage from his apartment showing someone leaving, driving his truck around 4 a.m. It was found two months later, nowhere near the apartment, and there were almost 3,000 miles on the truck that weren't there before. Well, that's the thing, too. He's home. Why would his truck be gone? Hello? And his TV, and his wallet, and his cell phones. So, again, sir, that's theft. I I mean, I don't know. They, they are trying to figure out, you know, who are these people? Mm-hmm. Why do they have his things? Stolen things, after yeah. all. So, Dad is not happy with the police department. He thinks that they are showing severe lack of investigation into his son's death. And he hires private investigators. He was not taking this. Oh, It was an accident. Bullshit. He was like, absolutely not. There were empty pill capsules everywhere and his truck and wallet are missing. So he recruited his own team of detectives to go over the official sheriff's report, the last phone calls, all the things. And they all came back to Dominique Berry, a well-known prostitute with a very long rap sheet. She also went by Jasmine, Mary Jane, and Destiny. But the police department knew her by her Christian name, Dominique. Sean had met her on a dating app and invited her over to his apartment for drinks. Hmm. Fingerprints from the whiskey bottle also belonged to her. She was on a dating site. Mm-hmm. And that's how he met her. Right. I mean, I guess she can date just like anyone else, but right. that's a little odd. Well, yeah, considering she has a long rap sheet. Yeah. And Then this guy turns up dead and all this shit's missing. So Sean's death inevitably uncovers what would be a cross-country crime spree targeting men on dating apps. Whoa. I haven't heard about this. A man came forward from Sacramento, California, said he had met Dominique on a dating app also. She was posing as a traveling nurse. He swiped on her for his girlfriend to be her companion for the evening. So he invited her over before the girlfriend got home. Mm. She wasn't supposed to come over, but she showed up early. Ugh. Um, they made drinks, and he doesn't remember what happened next. Wow. His girlfriend got home and <laughs> found him unconscious on the floor. He woke up in the hospital the next day. He had been drugged. Oh. Dominique had stole his credit cards and left him to die. An arrest warrant was issued for her, but she was found to already be in jail in Georgia for identity fraud and possession with intent to sell marijuana. Good so Lord, she from California, left California to Georgia? And- yes. She and her pimp, Randy. Ugh, of course, it's a guy named Randy. Sorry, Randy. Sorry, Randy. They were arrested outside Atlanta, accused of scamming a 53-year-old man after meeting him on a dating site. They pled not guilty and denied any involvement with this guy in California. So the private investigator goes and speaks to her. And she confessed that 
she basically had a dating scam that men would contact her online and she would lure the victims, get them drunk, put pills in their beer or whatever they were drinking, and play a chug game to get them to drink it all. Once they got sleepy, she would text her pimp, DP, which means drop pill, and he would come into the apartment and they would rob him. The largest amount of cash they had taken from a victim was $13,000. And she said she barely remembers Sean. Ugh. This is scary. Holy crap. You know this stuff probably happens a lot. And people probably don't come forward with it because they're embarrassed. Yeah. Or married or Or have a girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. So the private investigator showed her a picture of Sean's deceased body in the apartment. And she was like, I don't know what this has to do with me. Mm. The investigator said, your fingerprints are on this bottle right here in this apartment. She said, well, I don't know how he died. He was snoring when I left there. Mm. She claimed that Sean was one of an estimated hundred victims of the scam that spanned from California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Georgia. Wow. She said that she and Randy began drugging and robbing men in 2015. Two British tourists were allegedly their first victims. She said that typically Randy would pose as her Uber driver and drop her off at men's homes where she'd introduce herself, slip drugs into their drink, and he would get the drugs, the prescription pills, used to treat schizophrenia and panic disorders, crush them up, put them into empty capsules, Once they were asleep, they'd scoop up cash, jewelry, and other valuables, then steal their vehicles and deliver them to chop shops around New Orleans. Golly. They would target up to three men a night. They had to have killed other people. You would think. Because they don't know any of these people's medical conditions. And all that alcohol with pills that they don't know they're taking. What if they're already on some kind of schizophrenic medication or they're taking Xanax already for, you know, a panic disorder? It's three men a night? I mean, that's... She must have been on that app like 24-7. For real, that's... And the follow-through with these men, I got to tell you, I'm very impressed with it. There's no, how's your day? And then you don't hear from them for three weeks. Oh my gosh, (laughs) for real. Like, ugh. So, Sean's family's finding led to the JPSO and the coroner reopening their investigation. The coroner had other medical examiners review the file who overruled the initial findings of Dr. Mariana Esserman. The coroner's office changed the cause of death from accidental to undetermined. Esserman was married at the time to JPSO Sergeant Travis Esserman, who signed off on the death certificate. Mm. Yes. He wrote in his investigative report that Dominique has made herself unavailable to law enforcement and closed the investigation. They didn't even, they said that she was unavailable. And so they didn't even ask her anything about Sean's death. What? So basically, good old boys in cahoots with everyone else in town. It's just, you got to love the South. At a February 14 restitution hearing to determine how much money Randy must pay the nine victims that they found across five states, Jefferson Parish Coroner testified under oath that the drugs and alcohol that they had given Sean 
did in fact cause his death. Ugh. I don't know what drugs they gave him specifically, but people don't take antipsychotics to get high. Antipsychotics and for panic disorder. So you know it's Plyzanix or something like that. Well, I just take Effexor for that. Well, like, yeah, like an antidepressant. But like, you don't get high from that. No. So if he didn't have prescriptions for this stuff, I feel like the coroner or someone should have been like... I mean, they can determine what drug yeah, exactly it was. Like, this guy's not taking whatever he for has no funsies. Pres- he has People no prescription. don't do that. No, right. He has no prescription on file. You just feel worse. Right. So why would he be taking antipsychotics? So under Louisiana criminal law, if someone dies as a result of a robbery or another crime, it is classified as murder. Yeah, I'd hope. <laughs> he said they reviewed everything, especially the facts portraying, portrayed by the detective and felt that there was information in the facts that he portrayed that caused them to decide that there was not enough evidence to either file charges for manslaughter or murder charges. Mm. What? You you know the drugs they confessed to giving him caused his death. How is that not enough to file charges? They're getting off the hook almost. What's happening? Despite their admission in federal court that they supplied... Sean with alcohol and drugs. The district attorney's statement also said there is no evidence to establish that he didn't voluntarily consume alcohol. And the DA made a decision that because there is a six-year deadline to file manslaughter charges, but there's no deadline to file murder charges. So they could come back and be charged with murder later. But right now, there cannot be manslaughter charges. Wow. So Sean's dad, Bob, said he is not giving up and is seeking a copy of the DA's full investigation file. And Dominique and Randy eventually pled guilty in federal court to feeding alcohol and drugs to Sean and other men who responded to her ads as part of their criminal scheme. She claimed she was trafficked by Randy and beaten and made to do these things, and she was sentenced to 45 months in a federal prison. Randy got the maximum sentence of 25 years. Neither have been charged with Sean's death. What? They say that there's not enough evidence, which blows my mind. But Sean's parents aren't giving up. They want to see justice served, and they want them to be prosecuted. Good Lord. I mean, it does sound like he probably willingly drank in the beginning. But he didn't know there were pills in his drink. You, You can't. I don't know. If you put a bunch of meth in my tea and I drink it for some reason and don't taste the meth and I die. They can't be like, she had meth in her system. It's like, but I didn't know and I didn't. I didn't willingly consume it. In, yeah. that's. But then it almost turns into he said, she said, because there's no way to prove that you didn't drink but it. But them saying they did it. Is that not enough? I, you would think. I mean. That's crazy to me. It just. And, and that's a recent case. This sounds like something from yeah. the 80s or 90s. I mean, and again, we Ugh. see these stories all the time where the parents are the ones that are doing all the legwork <sighs> to find out who hurt For or real. killed their that's child. Awful. And it's all right there in front of police and mm. the investigators. I mean, at the same time, I don't, I am not an investigator or an attorney or a judge. I know just enough to you just say play one wrong. on TV. <laughs> I know just enough to get this shit all wrong. But Ugh. I couldn't imagine if this were my child no. how frustrating this would be. 
And it still it still just makes no sense to me yeah. how they haven't been charged with anything. I'd not be spending even spending all my money to get something going on. Yeah. How can you not even be still be charged with theft? Like And why don't they look into the other cases? Because well, that's what they were charged with is is doing this whole string. I feel like they've got a they've murdered someone before. Yeah, I don't know. There's yeah. no well, way they almost murdered the guy in California. Exactly. You can't just crush up a bunch of meds, put make men drink a ton, mm-hmm. and then leave them, and they're all fine except one. Apparently, you can in Louisiana. Oh my God, well, that's crazy, man. Well, on that note, let's take a break. So I have a not-so-fun fact before I talk about my case, and it might not surprise you. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Louisiana is seventh on a list of states producing the most serial killers in the U.S. Seventh? Mm-hmm. Starting in 1989 until 2014, the state averaged almost 14 murders per 100,000 residents. What's the number one state? Oh, man. I didn't didn't read that far. Oopsie. Go ahead. Probably. I don't know. I would think, like, I'm going to Google You're going to have to. People are going to be screaming. California. Oh, okay. Number one. Well, that makes sense because there's a lot of people there. Louisiana is not so big. So, anyway. Now, let me... No, wait. It just, like, popped up and I read the first thing, which don't do that because it says, which state produces the most serial killers? New York. Oh, okay. California's second. Huh. Followed by Texas and Illinois and then Ohio. Okay. Is that completely different than what you had? No, I just was reading about Louisiana, so I didn't look up any of the other states. This was on a Louisiana serial killer website. (laughs) They're like, there's our claim to fame. They didn't mention the other states. (laughs) They're like, we're number seven. Ohio? Really? Uh, Who knows? But I just noticed we have a common name in our case, which is really random. Who? So, I'm going to tell you about Ronald Joseph Dominique. Oh. That's weird. That Two Dominiques. Two Dominiques? Hmm. And are they both bad people? Is yours a bad guy? You'll see. Oh, boy. Go ahead. He was born on January 9th, 1964 in Thibodeau, Louisiana, which is about an hour away from both New Orleans and Baton Rouge. We've probably driven through it and didn't even know it. His parents struggled financially, and he grew up in poverty and lived in a rundown trailer park. In school, he was known for his lack of communication skills, and he struggled with his weight. And because of this, and I mean, we're in the 70s and 80s, he was a target of bullying. Yeah. He ended up graduating in 1983 and going to Nichols State University, where he studied computer science, but he ended up dropping out. He just wasn't that interested. He was exploring his sexuality as a teenager, and before he left school, he realized he was gay. He visited a local gay bar several times a week and was spotted there by his classmates, which resulted in more harassment. And my thought is, if the, his classmates spotted him, weren't they there too? Right. Who are you have to talk right. about? Right. That's what I was thinking. But after that, he publicly denied he was gay. As an adult, he lived with his mom and sister in the same trailer park and worked a lot of low-skilled labor jobs. He didn't respect authority, so he was fired constantly. And because of this, he never really had a steady income, so he always had to rely on his mom or sister for help. But he was often seen helping his local neighbors with yard work and groceries. They all thought he was helpful and kind. 
he spent his nights doing drag at a local gay bar. Which seems great. I love a good drag show. Yeah. Except that he was a white man impersonating Patti LaBelle. He didn't do blackface, did he? I saw photos of him, and he I don't think he did blackface. People didn't think he was a good drag queen. Oh, no. He didn't have the vibe. Somebody should have just took him under their wing. Well, he desperately wanted to fit in the drag community. That's where he wanted to be. Yeah. And the locals at the gay bar were not into him at all. (sighs) He would get booed off stage. Oh, no. I've seen some bad drag queens and I've never booed. I've never heard anybody boo. I've never heard a boo. I mean, ooh. Well, they all thought he was off-putting and uncomfortable. They didn't think he was great at performing. And again, it was his Patti LaBelle thing was his main. Maybe he just really loved Patti LaBelle. He did. And was like, so. <laughs> impersonation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah. So Not according to this no. group of peeps. They're like, no, sir. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, Yikes. it did t- turn out they're onto something because on June 12, 1985, Ronald was arrested on charges of sexual harassment. He was making some type of lewd phone calls and had to pay a $75 fine. He stayed out of trouble for a while, but then was arrested for drunk driving almost 10 years later and was fined for the offense. A couple of years later, on August 25, 1996, a partially nude man jumped out of one of the windows in his trailer. And he was reported as a youth, but I could not find his exact age. He said Ronald had raped and attempted to kill him, so they found Ronald and arrested him. Problem is, when the case was transferred to court, the prosecutor's office could not find the victim or even establish his identity. What? So the case was totally dismissed. They didn't even know who he was? How could he be charged with? You have to file a complaint. Exactly. I'm like, when they were writing this up, they didn't write down his name well, and address. Have, you have to. I guess they didn't. They couldn't even, they didn't know who he even was. Oh, Lord. I'm like, you went all, you arrested this guy and everything, and you don't even know the name of the person who accused. But, yeah, his case was totally dismissed. He didn't get in trouble for this. He didn't go to trial, nothing. And his neighbors thought he was harmless. He was 5'5" overweight, and suffered health conditions, and walked with a cane. So, I mean, you look at him and you don't think... Patty LaBelle. Well, <laughs> no, not Patty LaBelle, <laughs> and not this guy's going to chase me down and kill me type no. of thing. So, no one really thought it was true. People right. didn't think it was true, and they're like, well, this guy never came forward again, and he never does again. So, we don't know what became of that. So he seemingly stayed out of trouble for years until he was arrested assaulting a woman at a Mardi Gras festival in 2002. Assaulting a woman? Yeah. He claimed that she had hit a baby stroller in the parking lot with her car, and he started yelling at her. Uh Uh-huh. And then she started yelling back, and then a major argument ensued, and he demanded an apology from her. Oh, Lord. She... Finally did, but then he punched her in the face. I don't even know how you get in this type of argument. But later, so he was charged, but later the case was totally dropped because they made amends. 
What is going on? She forgave him. They became friends. She went to a drug. I'm just joking. She didn't see his show. (laughs) She went to his drug show. On paper, he had issues, but they weren't nearly as bad as you'd think. You know, like these are, well, obviously this alleged rape and trying to kill you is bad, but innocent until proven guilty. He never went to trial. It's not like we have confirmation of these things. But remember, Ronald, I'm going to bounce back in time for a bit now. So. In late 1997, the police began to find bodies that had been raped and tortured and murdered. They were all men, mostly homeless, and they were typically found floating in the bayou, rotting in sugarcane fields, and haphazardly buried along the road. And they became known as victims of the Bayou Strangler. In 1997, a 19-year-old African-American man named David Mitchell was picked up while hitchhiking alone from his grandma's house after attending a birthday party. His body was found two days later in a ditch near a wooded area. He had no drugs or alcohol in his system and no trace of physical trauma, but he had ditch water in his lungs. Oh, yeah. They ruled his death a drowning. Who trips and dies in a ditch. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess that's technically possible, but his dad said he was a great swimmer and the water level was low. It wouldn't make sense for him to drown without foul play being involved. He had no trauma on him, so it's not like he conked his head and I don't know. But David was also found with his pants down to his ankles, which was obviously very unusual, but they chalked Mm -mm. it up as a drowning. The following December, a 20-year-old man named Gary Pierre was found dead, fully clothed, but with no signs of physical trauma or drugs in his system. Then the next year, in 1998, a 38-year-old man named Larry Ranson was found deceased. And then in October, a 27-year-old man named Oliver LeBanks was found dead from being beaten and traces of semen was found on his body. So turns out these two men were addicted to drugs and were struggling with their lives. So the police kind of started to notice a pattern in who was being targeted, men that others may not miss. Right. Most of them did not have homes or they were transient on the move. Uh That same October, the body of a 16-year-old boy named Joseph Brown was found beaten and strangled with a plastic bag. I know. (sighs) And Coke was found in his system. A month later, 18-year-old Bruce Williams was found under similar circumstances. In May of 1999, 21-year-old Manuel Reed's body was found in a dumpster just one mile away from where Joseph's body was found. He had been raped and strangled, and unknown male semen was found on his body. A month later, 21-year-old Angel Mayai, suffering from homelessness and past drug convictions, was found dead in a dumpster. He had been tied up with a rope prior to his death. And I'm going through these victims kind of fast, not to be disrespectful, but because there's so many. Mm -hmm. But I do want to get through them all. In September, 34-year-old Mitchell Johnson's nude body was found, and he had also been raped and strangled and tied up. In January of 2000, another victim, 23-year-old Michael Vincent, was found under similar circumstances. So in the meantime, the police were investigating and coming up with nothing. Right. No leads. Years have passed at this point. In October of 2000, a 20-year-old man named Kenneth Randolph Jr. was found deceased 
and partially naked in a field outside the city. One week later, 26-year-old Anoka Jones was found dumped under a highway overpass. The police found the body just hours after he had determined to be murdered. It's like they had just missed it. So that's a week in between murders. These are getting... That's very fast. Yeah. Yeah. In 2003, a 19-year-old named Detrell Woods was found deceased along with his bicycle and dumped in a field. Almost a year had passed since he had been murdered, but they did determine his cause of death was asphyxiation. In October of 2004, 46-year-old Larry Matthews' body was found after being raped and strangled. No one ever reported him missing because he was homeless and wasn't close to family, but his identity was later established through fingerprinting. So that's one thing, like, no one's really reporting these people as missing. There aren't witnesses who see anything. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are on drugs, so the police aren't connecting them all to each other. They're like, oh, well, it was probably a drug deal gone bad. Later that month, the first white victim, 21-year-old Michael Barnett's body was found. In February 2005, 22-year-old Leon Lorette's body was found. And oddly enough, he had lived with two of the other victims, Michael and Anoka. So these are all, it's almost like a whole homeless community or... Well, they, he's probably kind of going yeah. to the same area, so they're mm-hmm. all going to know each you know. Yeah, it's, it's wild. <sighs> two months later, 31-year-old August Watkins was found raped and strangled. And finally, police are kind of thinking, oh, this is a serial killer. You they think? They've, the murders haven't all been in the exact same area. Some are in different parishes, uh-huh. a little bit further away and stuff. But at the same time, homeless men, known drug problems, asphyxiation, Rape. strangled, raped, beaten. Yeah. I mean, hello. <sighs> so they finally turned the case over to the FBI. <laughs> And there are more murders while the FBI are investigating. Right after August was found, a few days later, 23-year-old Kurt Cunningham was found murdered. Later that summer, 28-year-old Alonzo Hogan and 17-year-old Wayne Smith were found dead. The difference with these two men, which is unlike the rest, they had no prior criminal convictions and were not known to use drugs. Alonzo was raped before he was killed but no traces of semen were found on Wayne. But he was disposed of in a canal, and his body had severely decomposed by the time it was found. In September 2005, 40-year-old Chris DeVille was trying to hitchhike out of Napoleonville following Hurricane Katrina. His corpse was later found dumped in a field, and his skeletal remains were found a month later. Two months later... 21-year-old Nicholas Pellegrin was found dead in La Fourche. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> write that on my board this Sounds time. Right. La Fourche Parish. So the police did not think these were all tied to one victim. They, they just thought they were in other trouble. For example, Nicholas's family said he had recently borrowed 400 bucks from a drug dealer. He missed the payment date, so maybe the drug dealer was out to get him. So right. the families were just kind of like, well... They were on drugs, right. and they were in trouble all the time, so that's one of the reasons they weren't really tying them to one person. 
In the summer of 2006, 27-year-old Christopher Sutterfield began dating a man named Ronald Dominique. Remember him? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The guy from the beginning. On October 14th, while they were on a date together, Ronald, out of nowhere, hit Christopher on the head with a heavy object, causing him to lose consciousness. Christopher's body was later found on the ground near a boat launch near a remote area, and his death was classified a homicide by asphyxiation. This time, the police did have a small lead because Christopher's relatives and friends said they had last seen him with a man driving a black SUV, but they didn't know who he was or what he looked like. Mm -hmm. So after almost 10 years of serial killings, there was a real break in the case. In November of 2006, a man named Ricky Wallace reported that Ronald Dominique had lured him to his trailer in mid-2006 with an offer to share his drugs and have sex with a girl. After he entered the trailer, according to his testimony, Ronald tried to convince him that his girlfriend enjoyed bondage. So it wasn't like Ronald was trying to seduce these men or anything. He was lying to them, saying he had a girlfriend at home. They wanted a threesome or she wanted sex and she likes bondage. Are you into that kind of thing? It's all a ruse. Yeah. He offered to tie Ricky up, but Ricky refused. And soon after, he was allowed to leave. His testimony was questioned at first because he was a drug addict (sighs) and had lied in the past. But the police did at least question Ronald. Mm -hmm. While he was held at the station, he was super compliant, didn't seem that worried. He agreed to donate DNA, blood, whatever. Wouldn't you know it, though? The DNA matched his profile with that of the serial killer, who had been leaving traces of semen behind, at least on the bodies of Oliver LeBanks and Manuel Reed. So this was enough to arrest him. On December 1st, 2006, he was arrested at a homeless shelter. After the arrest, he said he knew it was a matter of time before he was captured, so he moved out of his sister's trailer in order to not inconvenience her. (laughs) Yeah, so he had been staying in a small camper trailer parked at his sister's mobile home. So this is where he was taking them in, not inside of her, her home. He's just doing this out behind his sister's house. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like a park that he has neighbors. <sighs> and those, I was going to say, those trailers are very close together. They usually are. And it's not like you have a giant yard to just put no. out in the corner. It's no. like you step out your back door and into he's that. he's taking them all back to his little camper. And I guess people just think they're, I don't know, Maybe. friends. Yeah. Whatever. So at the police station, Ronald was ready to confess to a total of 23 murders. Holy shit. And describe them in detail. How would you remember? He actually did. Well, he remembered 23, but the police think he actually is probably responsible for for more. more. He might just not remember them all. But I'm like, how do you remember, like, you don't have to have the details of everything? I don't know. That's a lot. That's a, that's a, I mean, I guess if it's murder. And I've never heard of this guy. I'm like, I haven't either. He was caught in 2006. But charges were brought against him. Okay, this is so confusing to me. He confessed but wouldn't admit guilt. Yeah. He blamed their addictions and their problems in life. 
kind of like they chose they to chose come it, back. Yeah. They let me put him in bondage. They let me. So it's like he confessed, but was acting like he. It's just. And this is what he was acting like, or not like his attorney advised him to do. Correct. That? He was just confessing oh, okay. to everything. Okay. He was just bearing it all. And he also said they voluntarily agreed to be treated that way to earn money. So he would either bribe them with money or say, hey, my girlfriend, Mm -hmm. my hot girlfriend Mm -hmm. is into bondage, come back. He did say if they refused bondage, he would let them go without harming them. But this is because he wasn't physically fit. He did have health problems and stuff. So he would take them back and almost all of these guys were like, okay, because he promised them money and sex and drugs or whatever. But yeah, the guys that said no, he was like, well, I'm not going to tackle them on the floor. Right. Again, I don't know, but you would think that even the guys that were kind of tied up would have fought. I I don't know. I know. He must have done a good job. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, boy. But they were all in compromised positions, the guys that were murdered, obviously. And he purposely pulled his victims from marginalized groups. And his victims ranged from ages 16 to 46. So he wasn't that picky on ages. Just if you go with him. If you're a guy that doesn't have a family look. But he didn't murder the guy he was dating, too. (sighs) He's just a mess. Yeah. When asked why he graduated from raping his victims to murdering them, Ronald said he was afraid of going to jail for rape, so he killed his victims to keep them quiet. Like that time the young guy got out of his Uh trailer window, he was like, I don't want to go back to prison, so I'll kill him so they can't rat me out. Oh, lordy. (sighs) His neighbors were shocked. The woman that lived across the street from him said he was nice. He played with her children. Okay, red flag. No neighbor men should play with your children unless they're your relative or something. I don't know. But anyway, he played with other children in the park. No. Nope. She would also see him playing with his sister's grandchildren. That's okay, but like, why is he playing with all these other kids? I don't know. He also claimed to have two heart attacks and liked to wear the mask of a deathly ill heart patient, which wasn't exactly true. So detectives said that based on his health records, yeah, he had minor heart problems, but that didn't stop him hobbling in on a cane during his sentencing and acting like he was on the brink of death for pity. So he was acting like he was on his last leg. (laughs) Yeah. So he may not have attacked the men before they were tied up, but he was still disposing of these bodies. Bodies are heavy, lifeless bodies. So he was... Not fit, quote unquote, but he was still managing to move them around and stuff. And a dead weight weighs a yeah shit ton. So they didn't really buy the whole, oh, look I at this can't. poor man mm-hmm. hobbling around. So 30 relatives of Ronald's victims attended his sentencing. One brother of the victim yelled in court, I hope hell finds you fast. Ultimately, following a trial, Ronald Dominique pleaded guilty to first-degree murder in an attempt to avoid the death penalty. On September 23, 2008, he was sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences without parole. He is currently serving at the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. Wow. Never heard of this guy. 
me either. And he just, wow. You wouldn't like, I saw, I mean, I saw pictures of him. You wouldn't think, oh, that's a serial killer. And his neighbors were shocked. That's why I always say anyone's capable of anything, period. Yeah, you can't trust anybody. Your neighbor on a cane, they, mm mm. Can't trust anyone ever. Whew. That was a lot of names, but Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. I have something else to tell you. Oh, okay. Or ask, did you see on the news where that American hockey player died? Yes, we got a message about that today, too. I I think it was from Kelly. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I forgot. Complete freak accident. Did you see the video? Yeah. Yeah. Nuts. If you don't know what we're talking about, he was, uh, his name is Adam Johnson, and he's playing for England, and he suffered a serious neck injury after colliding with another player and his neck was cut by the skate blade. Fans were asked to leave the arena immediately and um, he died. I mean, like it, you see the video, you can YouTube it if you want to. Mm-hmm. It's very sad that this happened, but he was only 29 years old. He played at the University of Minnesota and was a member of um, the NHL Pittsburgh Penguins from 18 to 20 crazy hockey yeah. skates are sharp enough to cut someone at high speeds but like you can run your finger across them yeah and it's not like it's not going to slice your finger off but mm. if you went really fast yeah and i looked at it was kelly she dm'd us mm-hmm. i hadn't heard about it and i looked it up this mm-hmm. morning actually she said, it's alleged also the player who caused the death has a history of extreme violence within the game. And I heard that, too, that the police may be looking into yeah. it, that it may have been done on purpose. I don't know that. We well, don't yeah, know we that. don't know. We're just but, speculating. But, but hockey's also very aggressive oh, God, in general. It's violent. I mean, they beat the hell out of each yeah, other. Yeah, they always have missing teeth. Oh, I my mean, gosh. And broken noses and oh, yeah. everything else. But That's yeah. why, yeah, it's it's like. So there was another guy back in um, 2022 that um, played for played out of Canada, and he fell, and the other team, like you know, there was a hustle and bustle. They're trying to, you know, they're being, and his arm got ran over, mm. and it sliced his wrist and severed the artery and tendons and as you can see the video of this too as soon as it happens he like grabs his arm jumps up it looks like a halloween prank yeah blood is squirting out and he immediately he had like four hours of surgery holy crap like it he was critical if they wouldn't have been there to get him he could have bled out too yeah hi oh boy anyways Sounds like some Final Destination shit. I almost wrote it for my Wacky Wednesday, but I'm like, yeah, it's too That's dark. Too, it's very dark. <laughs> it's very dark. Also, Matthew Perry died. Oh my gosh. It was at the Halloween party when I found out and I was sitting there and I just got online real fast and I saw that. I'm like, wait, what? He's so young. Yeah. And supposedly drowned <sighs> in his hot tub. He had a rough go of it too. <sighs> Yeah, he did. It's it, sad. It's very sad. I wasn't like a Friends freak. Me either. He was my favorite, though, on Friends, I Chandler. I mainly watched 
you know, reruns at Nick at Night or something. Yeah. Like when I can't sleep at night, I'll watch it. I watched it, it late. Yeah, like, I, I, I watched did too. it like five or so years ago yeah. and binged it just to right. watch it. But I mean, I've I've liked it. I didn't dislike I didn't it. Like, but, yeah, I wasn't. I have friends mm-hmm. who are obsessed and have been obsessed with it. Since My it came sister-in-law out. loves. So that's yeah. terrible. It is. I'm just doom and gloom over here. Do you have anything good and positive? I do have some positives. Jeanette from California bought us some cocktails. Bought me me some. Well, hey, she said, <laughs> Ashley, have your favorite cocktail. Lacey, have whatever your baby is craving. She's like Taco Bell. <laughs> buy, buy Lacey a burger. No, not a burger. But she also mentioned, along with another listener, there is a movie about Stingy Jack. <gasps> yeah. What? It's called The Curse of Bridge Hollow. Now, I wouldn't get that out of that. No. I wouldn't she be said like, it's pretty good. We'll see. I don't know. I'll, well, I'm interested. So it's funny because I listen to a podcast called Creepy, and it's about like creepy pastas and scary stories and stuff. And they talked about Stingy Jack briefly. And I love the podcast, but he kept saying Stingy Jack. No. And I was cringing stingy. so hard. I'm like, stingy. 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 Like, that doesn't even make any sense. It's stinging people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was yelling at the at the oh, phone. Oh, Lord. So Kelly L. wrote in and recommended a Michigan case. And Kelly, I have seen a documentary about this, and I don't think I can write about it. So it's about – North Fox Island. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's a tiny, it, well, it was a tiny island on Lake Michigan that was made into a quote, safe haven camp for boys. Oh, no. It turned out no. to be a whole sex trafficking no. situation for wayward. Ugh. Oh, my God. No. It was awful. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I. <sighs> that's, that's, uh, that hurts my heart. It. I can't. It, I watched the documentary and I'm surprised I even did. I can't watch but it stuff was, like that. I hate child sex trafficking stuff. I hate I just, child stuff at all. I mean, not that anyone like. No, we know what you mean. We know, like, yeah, yeah. But it's, oh my God. That's a good suggestion for. Yeah, it is. Another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just get too like, emotional. Oof. I get. It's immediately, so it's next to me. It's so sad. Immediately, I picture my my child. Or a child I know in that Ugh. situation. Uh, but I know what you're talking about. When you said that, I, it kind of clicked yeah, with me. I, I did forgot see, what the documentary was called. It's been years, too. I can't remember the name of it. I, I saw Ugh. the documentary and I was like, nope. Ugh, yeah, awful. Well, Samuel picked out a few scary movies in the days leading up to Halloween. You know, I'm always saying I stay up late and watch uh-huh. stuff, but I've been too tired during my pregnancy. So it was nice of him. He's like, instead of watching our normal shows – so the past oh, three nights, nice. so we watched No One Will Save You on Hulu. Is that an alien one? Yes. I've seen it on there. I haven't watched it. Is it? Is it yes or <sighs> it's no? It's good. It is? But let me tell you, there's not a lot of dialogue, so you have to pay attention. Okay. But man, it stressed me out. <laughs> the ending, a little interesting, but jump scares. When I'm talking jump scares, holy crap. Skip that. This so alien freaks me out. It kind of reminds me when I saw signs for the first time oh, and you see the alien in the, the alleyway mm-hmm. and I freaked out, but I recommend it. We also watched A Quiet Place. You've probably I've seen, seen it. That, yeah. I believe it or not never had because I knew what it was about. Yeah. Like I heard about it too mm-hmm. soon, but I liked oh, yeah. it. Have you, did you see two? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I'm just, you're bringing a baby into this world. 
are you crazy? It's going to cry first thing. And then she gives birth so quietly. I'm like, girl. The whole time I'm like, this is problematic. <laughs> this is not going to be okay. Mm. You're not going to live. You're not going to live. I, you're all going to die. But anyway, last night we watched Annihilation. I have never heard of this in my life. I think Samuel has a thing for alien movies because he picked these out. It has Natalie Portman in it. It's from 2018. But it's like a sci-fi psychological horror film based on a novel. Yes or no? It's it's weird. He liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I liked it, but mm-hmm. it was just – it's not like a typical horror movie. It's like right. there's plants and – Biologists involved, I know exactly and there's alieny things, and, and that kind of vibe. And they're like all in the chairs, yeah. And there it's was just, like the bear thing, yes, that sounded like yes. the friend, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very creepy, mm-hmm. very creepy, mm-hmm. and very almost like a dystopia ish. But but I like them all overall. What about you? Well, I want to watch that one, the first one you said. I keep seeing it pop up, and I'm like. I don't know. I was on the fence about it, but it had good reviews, which is rare for scary movies. Now I've got to watch it. Yeah. I watch, and I know you've seen this, the movie Us. Oh, I love – well, I don't love it, but I it terrified me. I have – I've. it's one of those that I turned on and but like I couldn't <sighs> sit and get into. I can't look at rabbits anymore. And I kept – Period. You know, I'd get up and do laundry or, you know, just – I wasn't – I watched it though. Sat down and made you myself gave your watch attention it. To yes. It, yes. Her voice kills my ears. First of all, when she starts talking to when they come in the house. God, I don't remember that. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, I can't. Oh. I mean, you gotta pronunciate or something. Oh. Get a drink. Oh. I can't. It's that- nails on a chalkboard. And then at the end. When you find out. Oh, the ending is such a mind warp. It was, then I'm like, what the fuck? Ugh. We've just run all these movies for y'all or just gave you enough to want to watch them. <laughs> yeah. No, I, us freaked me out. The rabbits, the, her eyes, how, how open they were. And they were like changing into other people. And she, that, that movie really freaked me out. But then I'm like, was it the same ones? Was it the same ones changing into other people? Because then it was everybody has a doppelganger. Ugh. Kind of. It's been a minute since I've seen it, it so it I don't weird. remember. It was weird. It, that movie freaked me out. It really did. I also watched The Monster Inside, which is all about the McCam- Cammy Manor. Is it good? I mean. That's on my list. It's all, it's actual people that have been through it. Mm. And these people were like terrified they, there's no amount of money that would make me go no this absolutely house. not it, it's almost borderline torture yeah i agree they're waterboarding there's live bugs Ugh. and snakes and people are in fear for their lives i hate that kind of stuff and the entry fee is dog food yeah <laughs> that's it but all of them are in agreement that they're there was no trust there. Like oh. they, they had been through haunted houses before or done similar things to There's this. There's typically boundaries. Yes. There was no boundaries with None. this. None. And you can establish them in other things and like they thought it would be the same way and it wasn't. You can you have to sign a waiver saying you're okay with like lo- losing teeth, having your head shaved. I can't even remember all of it, but it's... Mm. It just seems very 
warped and sadistic yeah. to me, in my opinion. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. not, I don't, you're. I feel like it's not okay at all. I don't know how it's legal. I really don't either. You're literally running a torture chamber. It is. It's, someone's getting off on it, I feel and like. And then what do you do? You just like go clock in if you're one of their workers and I got to go pull <sighs> some teeth. How could you, and even the workers that are doing this, if you saw a woman screaming oh in pain Lord. and begging you to stop and you're just going to rip her fucking teeth out? Uh, it's, it's. You're disgusting too. It's weird. It's messed Very up. Very weird it's and messed okay. up. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's good. It, it, it's, you don't like torture stuff though. So it's very. Is it showing what they're doing? Some. Do- oh gosh. I didn't know there was any actual footage of what they do in there. It's not, it, it's not like, Blech. I mean, but you know, they were streaming it and yeah. like you could watch it. And so Oh, I, that's true. Yeah. I forgot about so that. So it's just that footage. Oh, yeah. Man. Creepy, creepy. Anyways. What about uh, it's the day after Halloween when we're recording and I have a trick-or-treat hangover? I have a chocolate hangover. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We did all the trick-or-treat stuff and Halloween stuff over the weekend. We did trunk-or-treat Friday night. We carved pumpkins. We painted little pumpkin things to so we could have them for decorations next year. Played in our uh, playoffs, football playoffs. We lost. Sucks, but <laughs> whatever. And then uh, more trunk or treat Saturday night. And then you had your Halloween party. Mm-hmm. And it poured all oh, freaking awful. night. It poured all day. I was so annoyed that it, it rained terrible. so hard. And was cold. Ugh. And then we trick or treated last night. So many kids. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It Just That's trailers fun. and trailers of kids running around. It's one of the good things, though, about living in a smaller community. Yeah. Is... You know all the parents, you know all the kids from pre-K, sports, mm-hmm. school, basketball, whatever, and you just kind of got to watch everybody. It takes a village. I've got to this- figure out, because I live in like a downtown setting, so I've got to figure out where you to gotta go, go trick-or-treating in the future. You've got to figure it out, yeah. Maybe he can get some suburban friends. You know? I mean, <laughs> find some suburban there are neighborhoods friends. around here. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of trick-or-treaters. Yeah. I guess I don't know... The route. What are they doing over here? Like, where are they going? I don't know. I mean, you still have a few years before it's like. Yeah. Because I remember when Max was little like that, it just, you went to three or four houses and then you were done. Obviously, he can't say. Now that he's nine and he's got 75 other friends Mm. that are all nine, Mm -hmm. they just run and they want to go to every single house in the neighborhood. And you just yell at other parents. Do you see Max up there? And they're like, yeah. Do you see my kid? Yeah. One point I had two little boys that were dressed up. I had no idea who they were, but they were with me. I'm like, I have a, I have a scarecrow and a headless horseman. Oh, my gosh. Somebody. <laughs> I have your, your boys. <laughs> As a candy lover, I look forward to those days when I get my parent tax. We haven't even went through the candy yet. By the time we got oh, home yeah. last night, yeah, he I'm- was so exhausted. He, like, didn't even take a shower. He just put on pajamas, <sighs> brushed his teeth. He was wiped out. We did go to Burger King as soon as we finished oh, That sounds really good, actually. We got Whoppers. Ugh. We went home, changed. I want a Whopper. Went to bed, and I cleaned my car out and have his bag of candy. But I haven't even looked in it yet. I don't even know what he's got. One house was handing out. A couple houses were handing out, like, the big king-size full mm. candy bars. So... Maybe that'll be my parent tax. It's probably a 
and Milky Way or something. I don't like like. Milky Way. I don't like them. I need like a Snickers. I like them all though. Or like a Kit Kat. Twix. I could do a Twix. I could do them all. I am in (laughs) What about a Mounds? Uh, I mean, if the houses are giving out mounds and almond joys, no. no. Um, it's a no for me. Immediate no. Toilet I can do paper. like a fancy truffle with coconut, but I'm not eating a coconut candy bar. No. I'm not eating a coconut anything. Anyways, it was well, freezing cold. Yeah. I had to pee so bad. How people trick or treat for hours and don't go to the bathroom. I, I'm, I'm like, nobody put a porta potty in. I never thought about that. I was thinking about that too. It's mm. like, you, how did I trick or treat as a child and never stopped and peed? Also, I wasn't drinking last night. Kids a, are different though. When they're having fun, yeah. they're just like in fun mode. They don't care about peeing. As a grown up who was walking with Ugh. my with my drinks in in yeah. my pocket and one in my hand. Also, they had parent provision stations set up on some of them where there was like. A little fireball that keg. Is hilarious. Shots of tequila. Jello shots. I'm going to your neighborhood. It was a lot of fun. DJs set up. It was I can't even That's it was awesome. really cool. But I did pull Max aside and say, We're gonna go up to this house. I'm gonna tell them you have to pee <laughs> and ask to use <laughs> oh their bathroom. And he's like Mom, no. I'm like, you just don't say a word. You didn't know these people? No. Oh, my God. I was about to piss myself. Yeah. I'd had to pee for like 40 minutes. Oh, no. Couldn't make it back. Couldn't even breathe that I had to pee so bad. Have you ever been that uncomfortable where you just Every freaking night. (laughs) Every night that's me needing to pee. Wrong audience. (laughs) All the time. It hurts. Yes. It does. I know the pee problems. I literally go up and as we're walking up, Max is like... Um, I do kind of have to pee, mom. So I'm like, oh. okay, okay, let's go. So I was like, excuse me, sir. As oh we're as Max is getting candy, I'm like, might we be able to use your bathroom? You would save Halloween. He's about to pee his pants. He's like, go knock on the door and um just tell my wife I said it was okay. He had tried to call her, but she uh-huh. didn't answer. So we go through the yard of all these Halloween oh inflatables. Music is blaring. It's like Rob Zombie. My bladder is pulsating. Oh my god! To the beat. Knock on the door. Wife looks at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, "Hi, my little boy really needs to go to the bathroom." Uh, Your husband said. She goes, "Yeah, sure. Let me get my dogs. Nine hundred little yapping chihuahuas in this oh giant house." Oh my god! Go in. She tells us we go pee. All the things come out. Thank her. She gives me a shot of tequila. So oh I'm my like, god! I'm taking shots with a stranger. You're alive, so that's good. Yes. So uh, we leave, and then we could finish trick or treating. Oh but my goodness! So that's peeing. Yeah. Shout out to that couple who gave me two shots: one orange jello shot and a shot of tequila, and let me use your bathroom. Oh my gosh! It was good. Then I could trick or treat more. But I wasn't. I was not going to make it. No, I get it. I and get you, it. there was nowhere to go. You, women can't just squat. It's a. It's a whole thing. It's just house to house to house and 7,000 people running, no running woods. children. No yeah. woods. <sighs> Anyways, where are we next week? Uh, Ohio? Is that right? I don't know. Yes. I literally don't that know. That is. It is Ohio. I just realized that this episode is going to be airing on my birthday. So It um, is. Happy birthday, Lacey. Thank you. Get, uh, join us on Patreon at <laughs> patreon.com slash United States of Murder or buy us a cocktail. Buy Lacey a cocktail. It can be a mocktail. It can be an after-pregnancy cocktail. The link's in our show notes. I don't have it off the top of my head, but 
It's like buymeacoffee.com slash United States of Murder. Yeah. I'm shameless today. That I happens. T- I use the stranger's bathroom. I'm shameless every day. <laughs> so we'll see you next time in Ohio. Bye. Bye.